Welcome to Travel Tips Tuesday with John Rogers. On today's show, you'll learn up-to-date, creative, and personal tips that will help you make your travel dreams a reality. Enjoy today's episode. Here's John. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another super fun and very, very special episode of Travel Tips Tuesday. This is episode 100. I don't know how, but yes, we've been at this for 100 episodes over the past three years or so, consistently every week for about the past 18 to 24 months-ish, somewhere in there. And this has been a lot of fun doing this, and I'm going to kind of go into that a little bit more here in the show, so I won't belabor that point too much more, but I'm very excited about our guests that we're going to have. We're going to talk to former Disney Imagineer McNair Wilson. Uh, he's going to share some about his encounter with Walt Disney as a child, some about his experiences working in the theme parks, working with other Disney Imagineers like Joe Rody, who just retired recently. And this thing is so long, our conversation is so amazing that we're actually going to be splitting this up into two episodes. So if it feels like it's cut a little bit short, just stay tuned. Next week, we're going to have the second half of this show just for you. So please check it out. Make sure you listen to both parts of our conversation with Craig McNair Wilson, former Disney Imagineer. So I hope you're ready. Buckle your seatbelts. Get get comfortable for a little bit. And you're going to have an amazing time listening to our conversation together. So let's get into it, shall we? Tonight, this is Travel Tips Tuesday, and this is December the 1st, 2020. And our question of the day is, if you could ask a Disney Imagineer one question, what would it be? If you could ask a Disney Imagineer one question, what would it be? And that's the direction we're going to take. Um, a lot of the questions that people asked earlier today when I posted this, uh, when I posted this this morning, uh, are going to be a lot of the ones that, that were we had already planned on covering just to kind of go ahead and put that out there. We may not ask your question in the exact way that it's worded, but you hopefully will have it uh, answered in some form or fashion. I may not get to all of them because there's a lot. Um, and we may have to split this show up into a couple of recorded podcast episodes. So for those of you that aren't able to watch the entire thing, just know that it will be available on travel tips Tuesday on your uh, the local podcast feeds, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you know, Google, all those that, that are out there. It's like on eight or nine different ones, I think. So feel free to check that out. Uh, just Google search uh, Travel Tips Tuesday, or you can search that in your favorite podcast player. More than likely, it is there. Uh, so speaking of which, uh, podcast news, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this tonight, but I just wanted to say real quickly, thank you to everybody that has tuned in to uh, all of our podcast episodes over the past close to three years now, I think. I forget the exact date when I did the very first uh, episode. I will say for the past 18 months or so, we've been more consistent with kind of doing things on a weekly basis, except for the occasional holiday break. But it's been a lot of fun. You know, this thing is a labor of love, not currently sponsored, uh, but you know, I do this to, to hopefully help my clients help you. Hopefully it's entertaining. Hopefully you, you're able to learn something and take that, uh, take that advice, take that experience, take that information for your next travel experience, be it Disney or another destination that you're thinking about. And occasionally, as you know, we'll have guests on kind of like we do tonight, uh, just to kind of add a little bit more uh, flavor to the conversation. And those conversations are always fun. And this, uh, this conversation tonight is no exception. So in honor of episode 100, um, we are hosting Mr. Mr. McNair Wilson. You'll see his name C. McNair uh, on his Facebook profile, or sometimes in print, you'll see it like that. Uh, C. McNair actually stands for Craig McNair Wilson, and uh, he may share, you know, a little bit about that uh, later on, why he goes by McNair. But I met McNair 
kind of virtually through something kind of like we're doing right now through a Facebook live conversation for the first time. I didn't actually ever really talk to him in person, but one of our mutual friends, Terry Weaver, uh, was doing a um, a kind of spiel about his uh, sort of intro session about a conference that he does called The Thing that I've been to a couple of times now. Actually saw uh, Terry and McNair both there uh, right about a month ago. And, you know, Terry was sharing a few things and McNair was talking. And then all of a sudden McNair said something about him, uh, you know, working with the Tower of Terror. And I kind of said, hey, I was a cast member at Tower of Terror. That's kind of cool. And then later on, I realized that McNair and I, as well as Terry, uh, we have connections through another part of our lives as, as it relates to ministry and some things we're involved in there. So that was kind of neat. I've gotten had the chance to get to know McNair over the past couple of years, and it's been a blast. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun for you to meet him and talk with him tonight. So just a little bit about him before I bring him on. He is currently waiting in the wings, uh, but McNair is a former Disney Imagineer that has had his hands on projects like the Disney MGM Studios, uh, which is now known as Disney Hollywood Studios, the Hollywood Tower uh, Hotel or Hollywood Tower of Terror, a.k.a. Hotel Mel, Downtown Disney, the creation of Streetmosphere, more specifically at Downtown Disney, you have Pleasure Island over there that they had a hand in, uh, the creation of Streetmosphere, uh, the design of Seuss Landing or kind of a design, design concept over Seuss Landing at Universal Orlando, and a lot of other kind of bits and projects, a long tenure theater here in the theater uh, in, in different places. He's just done a lot of things, super creative person and has a huge desire to want to encourage people and, uh, and, and be uh, a source of inspiration for others. Uh, it, a key experience that we will definitely be talking about to him that I think was super ins inspirational was when he met Walt Disney as a child. And I won't say much more beyond uh, that, but I think you will be delighted to kind of hear that story. Uh, McNair has also authored several books and he is one of the, funniest most creative and, and encouraging people uh that i know so super excited to, to hear him and uh, have him on tonight i'm gonna go ahead and bring him on hello mcnair how are you tonight i'm good john and you i am doing very well thank you so much for uh joining us and uh just spending a few minutes out of your schedule to hang out and you kind of had to make plans to uh kind of revisit your office space for tonight because of internet and such, but um, appreciate you making that move on, on my behalf. So, my um, so um, again, I mentioned a few things kind of in the intro. Is there anything that um, you would like to add to sort of who you are and, and, and what you do, what you're up to these days? I didn't hear the intro, but the main thing I'm up to these days is, being angry with um, all of our idiot governors who won't let me go sit in a coffee shop all day and write. <laughs> I have a lovely office at home, very comfortable. Right. I have my studio office, all one word with a big O in the middle, studio mm -hmm. office. But after a few hours of morning doing stuff, I need to get out in the way. So typically it's Starbucks and I stay till they kick me out. A, my local Starbucks has a fireplace and it's just perfect. I'm here That's in Colorado. Awesome. So, um, so these days I'm an author finishing my, my new book, um, a sequel to my book, Hatch, the brainstorming book. And this is a book that's gonna be a series. I tell people it's gonna be a four book trilogy because there's no, there's no word like the word trilogy for four books. Right. It may, I've actually got a list of seven ideas, but we'll see. Uh, I think I'm gonna take a break after this current book uh, to do a different book as my next book. I am doing a book with our friend, Terry Weaver. We're doing one 
together. That's kind of a, uh, we're calling it a, like a scouting manual for grownups. And it's going to answer all those little <laughs> questions that we get when we speak. Like, I've got an idea for a book. I don't know how to start. I've got an idea for a song. Or how do I build a sound st studio in my spare bedroom or my garage? Or, you know, all those little thousand little questions that we get everywhere. Or my favorite is when people come up to me after I'm done speaking, I've got this look on their face and I'll look at them and I'll say, son or daughter? And they'll go say, son. And I'll say, drama, music, art. They'll go, drama, this is weird, McNair. I said, well, you've got that look on your face that I call help my child is talented what do I do <laughs> and I'm not or maybe you right. are artistic and mm -hmm. your kid is scientific or whatever yeah. right uh, yeah. I've got as my parents were educators and they raised up as my mother said two boys both of them an only child and right. they saw early on my brother was athletic and outdoorsy and camping and sports and they saw that I was theater and and graphic design and cartooning and writing. And so they encouraged us both in those areas, but at the same time, encouraged my brother to be in band and choir and art classes, and he was. Right. Encouraged me to be in sports, which I was up till high school. And then I kind of focused in on the things I knew I wanted to do more. Right. So right. to get your kid to be well-rounded, and we don't do that. We say, ooh, my kid's a whatever. And, and the answer to that is, so what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So well, these, 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 I'm mostly an author because all the speaking stuff has disappeared. The conference that you and I were just at in Orlando, the thing mm -hmm. is the first um, live speaking thing I've done, you know, since February. And well, usually I'm out two or three times a month. So you were, you're telling us um, just a second ago about, sorry, I was checking one thing that, the streams acting funny because you know it's live and does that sometimes um but we're we're okay so you're telling me a little bit about um kind of your 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 uh your childhood sort of where you were um you know, where you were raised your family you mentioned you had a brother um and your sort your parents recognized that creative creativity in you uh younger and usually the first question that um i I ask people, as I've shared with you before, is a little bit about their own Disney story. And I know that uh, the the Walt Disney Company, of course, has a role in your career life, but uh, you had a very unique, special encounter when you were a, a child that I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, directly relates to some of what you're writing about in your new book. And uh, I would love for you to uh, share that experience of uh, what it was like to meet Walt Disney as a kid. Yeah, my, I, I'll just, just in a sentence or two, my first Disney experience, our family moved from Minnesota. We were in Lesseur, Minnesota. If you've ever eaten mm. Lesseur, Baby Peaks, that's the town that was for years the headquarters, about 60 miles southwest of Minneapolis. So the summer before my kindergarten year, we moved to the Los Angeles area and right away went to Disneyland. That would have been 1957 and uh, was just... I mean, bowled over as any kid would be, but sure. a kid who's interested in the, who already is involved in the theater at that age and bought what is uh, probably my favorite worldly possession, uh, a map of Disneyland. And the maps in those days were on heavy archival, it's not hard, hard, hard to even call it paper, it was so thick. And it came rolled up in a plastic bag, but for, um, and there was 50 cents and for 10 cents extra, might've been 15 cents, you could get a, cardboard tube. So I bought, I invested in both. 
And uh, my first day as an Imagineer, um, uh, as, a, as a consultant, because I did a year of consulting there mm -hmm. while I was still doing all the street theater at Epcot, uh, they took me by, because everybody knew I had this map that was a favorite possession. They took me by to meet Sam McKim, who had drawn that map and just a oh, sweet, wow. sweet, sweet Christian man. And um, he had copies of all the different ones and he was working on a new one that he never finished. When a year later, when I went to work full-time at Imagineering, I got his office. So I had oh, him wow. sign. You know, there's, there's a place on the map and you can find this online where he put his initials because the artists weren't allowed to sign things. Right. So I still got that map and it's probably been signed by Oh, 15 or 20 of the great old Imagineers. I even have a picture of me with Harper Goff and his wife while he's mm -hmm. signing the map. And Harper Goff did the Nautilus for 20,000 Leagues. He did, yeah. he did, uh, he designed Main Street USA, which is why Main Street USA is not just Mercer in Missouri. It's, it's also Fort Collins, Colorado, where he grew up. So it has both influences. He did the Jungle Cruise. So just one of the, one of the greats, Harper Goff and the banjo player in right. the, uh, 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 the, the firehouse five plus two. Anyway, we we're living in Pasadena, California, and my father was in the Naval Reserve, which meant one one month, uh, one weekend a month, he would be somewhere doing something. And he got himself positioned to a uh, civil defense base, which was an old elementary school run by the Navy Seabees, which are the construction battalion. And in case of emergency, they've got trucks and warehouses full of water and all that stuff, and they can go and build something or if it's falling down, move it out of the way and so on in quick time. Well, that that little location of theirs, the elementary school was at the very end, the terminus of the Rose Parade in Pasadena. And so every year they would put on a buffet lunch for the Rose Queen, the princesses, the mayor and, and the honorary grand marshal. It was always some world dignitary celebrity. Um, just amazing who those people were. And it's always announced like in February for the following year, um, this year, they will not be having the Rose Parade for the first time in a hundred and some years because of because of the COVID scare. And, um, uh, you know, we, we can I, I think if they would just call it the Rose Riot, then they could have it. You know, just you know, we're having the Rose protest. All the Carnation fans are protesting. Anyway, um, they announced it would be Walt Disney for the following year. So my dad, as the kind of community liaison people person, called and said, are there any uh, dietary proclivities or any favorites that Walt's like? We'll make sure and have that in the buffet lunch. How does he like his coffee and so on? And the lady said, in all the traveling and speaking he does, that's the first time any professional group had asked them that question. I mean, these, these days now, when I travel sort of pro forma, what do you need backstage? And uh, so I always specify a very expensive red wine and several dancing girls, but they um, <laughs> bottled water, I can bring myself. <laughs> Uh, and then, and then I said, "Are we going to get to meet Walt Disney?" My dad said, "Well, let me check." And so he agreed that after a potty break and a fresh cup of coffee, he would meet with the kids of the officers there at the base. So we're ushered into this room. Now, it's, remember, it's an old elementary school. And he said, "I need to sit down." And uh, and so I went and got a chair. And it's the linoleum floor, an elementary school. And I'm running across the room, and it slipped out of my hands, slid across the room, and hit Walt Disney in the shin. And I heard him grab the edge of the chair and say, oh, and I thought, oh, I have killed or maimed Walt Disney. I'm some <laughs> part of me is going to be ripped off of my body and thrown into the fiery depths of hell immediately. And so I went and stood in the corner, just frozen. <coughs> A few 
minutes later. I mean, it couldn't have been three or four minutes. Every kid in the guy's autograph moved on. This was long before cell phones. This was it's January 1966. And, uh, and he says, hey, and I turn around and it's me alone in the room with Walt Disney. So what are you doing over there? I said, Mr. Disney, I'm awful sorry. It slipped out of my hand. He says, I'm fine, I'm fine. And as if it had happened this morning, he lifted his leg, put his foot on the chair, lifted his pant leg to show me, see, no bruising. And he said, look at there, suspenders. And he had garters holding up his socks. And he says, isn't that special? And he showed me the other one. And I still remember me in a room alone with Walt Disney, me looking at his hairy leg, his knee socks, and his, and his garters. And he said, what do you got there? I said, well, so that's my sketchbook. And I had a spiral sketchbook that I always had with me. And, um, he said, and he said, can I look? And he's looking through it. And he goes, ooh, trains. You like trains? I love trains. He said, you like my train? I said, I like all your trains. He said, I guess you're right. He says, we got a couple of them out there. And I said, and the monorail's kind of a kind of a kind of a train, you know. And he said, You're right. And so, uh, and I said, Well, what are all these buildings? I said, Well, they're towns. I said, I do I do the trains because I like to draw the towns. She so says, So what do you want to do? Be an architect or what? And I said, Well, on your TV show a while back, you had this big guy who was showing your the new pirate ride, and you said he he was your head of head of and Walt says imagineer. And I said, Yeah, I said, Well, that was Claude Coates. I said, Right, right, you said Claude. I said, I'd like to be like that, Imagineer. And he poked me and he said, and so you shall be. Now, fast forward 150 years and I'm having a, a meal with Marty Scalar and some of the other Imagineers. It was the day that we had done the groundbreaking for Disney MGM Studios. And I told that story and Marty says, well, I guess I gotta hire you now that Walt said you gotta work here. And we had already talked about my coming on full time. We were going out once a month for a week, my partner Herb Hansen and I, who had started SAC Theater, that was hired. We were hired in in, in 1982 for three months for the opening of Epcot to do ten shows a day in Italy. After two weeks, they said, "Have you got some more people?" So we've got 40 people who can do this. We do 30 Renaissance festivals a year. So we added the United Kingdom, and by Thanksgiving of 1982, the opening year of Epcot, we were doing 12 shows a day in Italy and the United Kingdom. By the summer of '85, we were doing 45 shows a day at Epcot. And we stayed seven years, and in the and from the very beginning of Epcot, the uh, employee, the cast member preview weekend, the week before Epcot opened, Imagineers were watching us and watching us and watching us. And who are these guys? Breaking all the rules, touching guests, being sarcastic, doing something very interactive. He said something we don't do. And the first time I met Marty Sklar, head of Imagineering, he didn't even say hello. He shook my hand and he said, "Have you ever thought about putting live actors in a brick and mortar?" Disney ride, and I said, only since the first time my mom and I rode Pirates of the Caribbean in, in April of 1967. He said, well, we opened in March. I said, well, we were busy in March. And my mom and, said, mom and I thought it was a great ride. She was my drama teacher. But we said, if three or four of those pirates had been live, it really would be something. He said, tell me about that. Fast forward to 1987, I was now at full time, and we did a 35th anniversary party for Imagineers, and we put 30 live actors in the attraction. And on the invitation to dinner, it was a sit down dinner just for Imagineers. 1200 people at Disneyland, John, is like, you know, you having a backyard barbecue with you and right. one friend, you know? It's sure. Like, yeah. What if they came to the theme park and nobody came? Right. Fantastic. Well, everybody came, got on the ride, but they wouldn't leave. They went around and around. We finally had to close it down after almost an hour and a half because it was so amazing. Frank Wells, may he rest in peace, president of Disney at the time, was there and said to Marty, why wouldn't we do that all the time? And he said, ask me there. And I said, because the pirates that run this park won't pay for it. Hmm. 
and I explained how we do it. I said, just be three actors, four or five different positions. Every time you go through, there'd be a different one in a different place. Mm -hmm. And even if it was you and I, again, but we switch places, right. you know, you have a certain little bit you do, and then you could add to it. Right. And, uh, and he said, well, we should do that. We should do that. And I said, yeah, we should. And the closest, so when I was hired on at Imagineering, it was to put live into the parks. And so the opening day of Disney MGM Studios, all the major attractions had live performance elements. Right. Not somebody just standing there saying, you know, select a row and fill in every seat, move across the aisle. That's, that's, right, right, right. you know, that's a show. That's a host. And so right. all the major attractions from Indiana Jones to the superstar television, all of them had live actors. And why we had live actors, as people will remember, in the great movie ride. Yeah, uh, I, I love of, that because uh, what you, you're not just like inviting people to watch a show. You're inviting people into the story by doing that. And it, it makes it more memorable. Mm -hmm. It's 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 an incredible experience. My Some of my most favorite uh, travel memories to Disney MGM, MGM was, uh, you know, when I was a child was to see Indiana Jones. Um, and, you know, I remember Streetmosphere as a child and, um, you know, I, Honestly, if I'm being transparent, I didn't want to go to uh, Disney MGM when I was a child because I was like, there's not a lot going on there or whatever. But now, like today, I have I have more uh, memories from that park than I do from like Magic Kingdom and Epcot and, you know, whatnot. So um, and, and Michael Eisner was also. a big fan, big fan of our street theater at, at, at Italy. In fact, he would plan his lunches to, to go to Alfredo's of Rome to make sure he knew when our when our shows were, and they were the same dates, you know, every hour and a half hour from the beginning of time, you know, and he kept saying, now we're going to have street theater in this park, right? Street. Cause this was, this was his first theme park from the ground up. Right. <laughs> and I kept thinking, there's no one place at the studios that, that lends itself to having a little street theater troupe. And, um, you know, um, and it just hit me one day, we build these wonderful places that are dead, that are deserted. I said, what if you, when you came in, to help orient guests. They're looking at these buildings that are unfamiliar mm -hmm. to them, unless they're from LA, because every facade on Hollywood Boulevard is a real facade. Some of them still exist, mm -hmm. including the Chinese theater, which was, which we built from the original 1927 blueprints. In fact, I don't know if, if your listeners know, when, when the Chinese theater um, historic commission went to refurbish the building, they borrowed our blueprints, which we had created and redone to build the here, because it's actually, you know, inch for inch, life size. Um, and I thought, why don't we create, make, bring this place to life, the, the, the citizens of Hollywood Boulevard. And I'd learned something very interesting watching Dreamfinder at Epcot. That we had three fellows doing Dreamfinder, all of them terrific. And the kid would come up to Dreamfinder and say, hey, remember me? Well, he's talking to Steve Taylor, but Steve Taylor had never met this kid. Ron Snyder had met that kid. And, but it's dream to the kid, it's Dreamfinder. So in Streetmosphere, even though we had two gossip columnists with the big hat, but a different color costume, different character name, different personality. So you knew. And when you met Sid Koenga, there was one guy, my friend Al Arasim, the character was designed for him. And when he came to auditions, I told him, don't pre pretend you don't know me. I said, wear a Hawaiian shirt, straw hat, have a cigar that comes in and says, hi, how is everybody? Ronnie Rodriguez who was there from a hiring group from, from, from Creative Entertainment. We did went to 10 cities and saw almost 2,000 actors to find the Street Monsieur Citizens, 33 actors, uh, the original cast of 
Comedy Warehouse and Adventures Club. It was great. Three directors. And, and he comes in and Ronnie's like, get what, what's your thing? Get your, and he's going through my sketches. Like, that's your guy. That's your guy. And I said, yeah, it kind of looks like him. So I said, yeah, read this for us. He gets done. And he goes, he's going back to his seat. And he turns to me and he says, nice to see you, McNair. And everyone, oh, he's a ringer. But it was perfect. But there was only one Sid. And on the days that, 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 that uh, Al wasn't there, it'd be his wife or his daughter who were there in front of Sid Coingas. And uh, if, you, if you go to YouTube and look at the video, either the opening video or the making mm -hmm. of video, he's both of them. Um, so awesome. when, I, when I did a presentation showing these characters just in cartoon form and acted them out for Michael, first show, I first showed him the Bob Weiss the next day after that night that I figured them out. And he said, that's the best idea I've seen in 10 years. And Bob was head of the design team for all mm -hmm. of Disney Studio. He's now president of Imagineering. Uh, before that, he did the redo for California Adventure, turning it into an actual theme park. And then he also headed up Shanghai. And then when he came back to Shanghai, he became right. president of Imagineering. Perfect, perfect, yeah. perfect guy for the job. Oh. Um, and we showed it to Eisen, uh, then we showed it to Marty. He loved it. He said, what have you been waiting for? What took you so long? And I said, well, the park isn't open. We'll be fine. We showed it to Eisner. When Eisner liked something, he'd say, that's a, that's a home run. He said, that is a grand slam. And I had just accepted the job to come on full time, but I wasn't yet full time. And Eric Jacobson, who headed up Great Movie Ride from the back room, says, he doesn't even work here. Grand slam. <laughs> Nobody gets a grand slam. So it was, it was immediately seen as the perfect thing. And then they wanted me to do it for Disneyland. And I had a whole cast for Disneyland and the or for the Magic Kingdom and the guys that ran the park didn't want to pay for it. So well, what was the question? Yeah. Um, so that's how I, don't I met know. Walt. Yes. And that was that, you know, that was January, that was January of 66, and he died in December of 66. Yeah. So wow. that was that was towards the end. But what a what a guy. What yeah. Guy. Seriously. I mean that that was definitely a, a powerful uh powerful moment for sure. Um, and that story so, of meeting Walt is in the new book, right? And I think like one, I mentioned this in, in the intro, uh, and I don't remember exactly how I, I worded it, but um, I, I just talked about kind of the the, and this, this is a talk that you know I, I heard your talk at the at the thing a couple of years ago where you talked a lot about encouragement, and I think that's uh, that's a key part of your new book that's coming out, and and some yes. of that was was birthed out of that experience meeting. Um, I think Walt Disney is just a real powerful, uh, real powerful moment. And um, just sort of thinking about the power that just raw encouragement um, and, and intentionality like that can have. It's huge. Um, so I would like for you to talk a little bit about that painting behind your shoulder that you've got and, ah. uh, and, and why that's, why that's important. Maybe share the salt, the uh, salt shaker story with us. So obviously it says tower of terror yep. on it. Um, when we opened, when we opened the Disney MGM Studios, we knew before it was open it was going to be too small, right? And so began right away to design what would be a new a new land, and that was Sunset Boulevard, right? And when we open a new land, we need like a, a new wing of a mall. You need an anchor store. We call it a weenie, and there are very often mountains, Space Mountain, Big Thunder Mountain, so on, <coughs> Splash Mountain. And so I had designed at the behest of the studios, I had just put together a team that came up with a concept and design. That's the early imagining of an attraction. Um, 
based on the movie Airplane. Do you like Gladiator movies, son? That Because <laughs> uh, they'd wanted the Zucker brothers who did that to move their right. production team to Disney. And people don't realize a studio is, is, is a set of buildings, but a movie production company is just a group of people. You know, it can be Mel Brooks, a secretary and a lawyer. And then when they make a movie, they bring in 300 people and they make a movie and then they all go away. So, um, I mean, like when they bought Lucasfilm, they didn't move a lot of stuff down onto the right. Disney lot. They just owned that property and so on. Right. So because everybody liked Airplane, they said, well, see if McNair can come up with something. You know, no promises. So I got that group of guys together. I called them the knuckleheads. It was Tim and Steve Kirk who ended up doing uh, um, Disney Seas that started out as a project that I headed for brainstorming. It started out to be in Long Beach, California, the Disney Seas project. Uh, so Tim and Steve Kirk, uh, Jim Steinmeier, who designed all of, of, of uh, David Copperfield's illusions, Frank Tomorrow, who went on to be the, the main storyboard guy for, for James Cameron, for Titanic and Avatar and all those. So very interesting team of team of people. And we're sitting there and in Marty's conference, and he said, Michael's coming over with a friend. He wants to work with you. And he walks in with Mel Brooks. Michael is Michael Eisner is six foot three. Mel Brooks is about three foot six. And uh, and we all agreed later that every day after that moment would be the worst day of our lives because mm. we shared oxygen with Mel Brooks. And he was as funny and as bright and as interesting as you wanted him to be times 10. And uh, uh, I said, now, do we call you Mel? Do we call, he says, we call you Mr. Brooks. He says, call me Mel. And I said, guys, and everybody went, Mel. And from then on, in every meeting for this project, uh, which was initially called Project M for Mel, um, if, if he was there or not, we'd say, I have a question for Mel. And he'd say, yes, my son even if he wasn't there. So we need to ask L. And he says, now, what do I call you? And he's coming over looking for my name tag. And I'd had some sort of coat on, which I'd taken off. So my name tag was not on me. And I said, well, you're gonna have to call me Mr. Wilson, which he did for the rest of our time together. Mr. Wilson, Mr. Wilson. In fact, years later, I was in New York and I saw the preview of the producers, the Broadway musical version. Mm -hmm. And two nights later, ran into him in a restaurant where all the actors hang out. Matthew Broderick had come in with a crew of people and and, and, and uh, Nathan Lane, and then there was a commotion on the door. I said, oh, please let it be Mel, and it was. And so as he's coming by my table, I stood up and I said, Mel! And he looks at me and he goes, I know this face. And I said, <laughs> Imagineering, he says, Mr. Wilson, come and meet the little lady. Now, I don't know if everybody knows who his wife was. It was the actress Anne Bancroft, who was Mrs. Robinson in The Graduate. Mm. And me and she was also played um, uh, the teacher for for Helen Keller in the, the Miracle Worker. Fantastic actress. So he took her over and he says, Annie, this is Mr. Wilson. She says, the Imagineering Mr. Wilson? She's very New York. And I said, yes, ma'am. She says, oh my God. She said, he was never in a better mood in his life than a day after that he'd spent with you boys over Imagineering. And I said, well, I'll tell you the truth, ma'am. I was only ever nice to this guy because I thought someday I might get to meet you. She grabbed me and said, sit down, sailor, and gave me a peck. still see her brown lipstick. Wig. Anyway, um, so, so, so we're brainstorming. And we said, you know, Mel, Disney MGM Studios, we don't do a ride where we tell the story of a movie. That's Disneyland. 
Snow White's Scary Adventure, Peter Pan's Flight, the best, my favorite ride in all the parks. You don't have to ask. Also, Mel, um, Walt's favorite ride, I understand, designed by Claude Coates. And people say, why that? And I said, you're in a pirate ship and you're flying. You need any more details? Yeah. And uh, still, my favorite, if I if I would go down to Disneyland for a meeting, Marty asked me one time, he said, when you go down for these meetings, he said, do you ever go to the park? I said, every time. He said, do you go on a ride? I said, I go on at least one ride. He said, what's that? I said, Peter Pan. He goes, oh. and he told me, he said, that was Walt's favorite ride. I said, mine too. Anyway, so I said, Mel, we don't do the Disney Amdam Studios. That's why when you went to the great movie ride and you got to the Munchkin Village, it's all there if you look. But if you look here, ah, you're in a soundstage. You mm. see where the backdrop is tied. Whereas if you look up in the big sea battle scene in Pirates, it's a completed sky. Right. So the whole the whole conceit of, of the whole park, Disney Animation Studios was behind the scenes. So that's why we didn't do an Indiana Jones show. We did a show of making the movie of Indiana right. Jones, right. which originally was gonna be, when, when I did the concept for it, it was Indiana Jones, Mad Max, and James Bond, three mm -hmm. sections, which everybody liked. And I did that just because I thought, we'll let somebody else decide. You know, right. Any one of these three could be a good show. And I just said, that may be a little confusing. He said, if he said, I'm still going to do more James Bond movies. I said, yeah, long after all of us are gone, they'll be doing James right. Bond movies. And he said, so which one did you do? I said, I would do Indiana Jones because they've done two and they're going to do a third one. That's how long ago this was. And now we're wow. talking about a fifth one. So the thing will you know, run forever if they ever stop playing around with live entertainment as we experienced a couple of weeks ago, not seeing any. And, uh, and 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 so it was all the, the you know those those lives. So I said to Mel, I said, what we'd like to do is some sort of an attraction using young Frankenstein as our muse, our inspiration, funny, scary together. And so I said, one of the pro other projects I'm working on is we're going to build a hotel out front of this park, Disney MGM Studios. It's going to be a high-end Hollywood Art Deco. Will be the most expensive hotel on property because, as you know. There are people who, if you give them the nicest room at the Grand, Grand Floridian, mm -hmm. and they find out there's a nicer suite, you know, over over at over at the um, Fort Wilderness Lodge, they want that room, not to show off. That's just their lifestyle. So we said, why don't we build a hotel that has all of the rooms at that level? And so we um, we were designing this. I said, what if one end of this hotel was the old original Hollywood hotel? What would that be? And we brainstormed and came up with the idea with, of this haunted hotel. And you'd go inside and you get in the elevator and you go up and it gets to the top. And one of the guys in the group says, and the, and the elevator shakes and the door opens and it comes out of the out of the shaft and it goes down the hall. And we all laughed. Mel says, you could do that. And I said, well, I know a guy. He says, you know, a guy he says head engineer. The next day I was at lunch with the guys, told him the story. Only that time I was using a salt shaker, like in the, in the painting here. Mm -hmm. And I told him the story and I took the salt shaker and the guy said, how are you gonna get him back down? I said, what I'd like to do is take him to the edge of the building and drop him off the side and I dropped the salt shaker. So mm -hmm. a couple of years ago at the thing, as I, in the talk, I forget the, the, the title of the talk, but um, uh, I told that story at Jerry's behest, or Terry Weaver's behest. And our friend, Craig Frazier, a Disney artist, amazingly mm -hmm. talented, get the guy. Had done a little sketch. He knew the story. Show me the sketch at a time. And he stood at an easel and airbrushed this painting 
while I'm speaking. So wow. this is kind of the whole Tower of Terror story or Hotel Mel, as we called it, uh, right. all wrapped up into one. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this first half of our conversation with former Disney Imagineer McNear Wilson. He is a wealth of knowledge, has a lot of amazing stories to tell. In the next half of the episode that we're going to air next week or have available on your podcast players next week, we're going to answer several questions from some of you. We had around a dozen or so questions that were submitted prior to the show. We're going to get to a few of those, and hopefully yours will be answered. We're going to talk about uh, McNear's history of working with other Imagineers like Joe Rohde. We're going to talk about attractions that he was almost a part of, ones that he wishes that were still done, and he's going to share a couple of other stories and tidbits and maybe even a little travel advice Imagineer style. So we hope to see you for next week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks for listening to Travel Tips Tuesday. We'll be back next week with another episode. See you then.